Welcome to Pop Culture Retro, which was recently voted the 15th best podcast by the residents of the Golden Years Retirement Community in Boca Raton, Florida. Each show, we'll revisit some of your favorite pop culture memories with insider and outsider perspectives. Now, please help me welcome your hosts, Ike Eisenman and Jonathan Rosen. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Pop Culture Retro. I'm one of your hosts, Jonathan Rosen, along with Ike Eisenman. Now, we have had a lot of guests on who I've been thrilled about and been huge fans of, but I have to say that I've been more excited, seen more excitement from my friends than I think just about anyone that we've ever had on. And I get it because I'm being transported back to my childhood right now. So we are absolutely thrilled to welcome two fellow Brooklynites and the stars of one of my favorite shows growing up, Carol Demas and Paula Janis, better known as Carol and Paula from Magic Garden. Carol and Paula, thanks for joining us. Oh, we love being here. We're so happy to finally get to meet you. Right. <laughs> yes, I'm thrilled. And I just want to say, start by mentioning, I've been corresponding a little bit with Carol, and I spoke to uh, Paula's daughter yesterday, and everyone's just as nice as you would expect them to be in person. But I want to start by saying that uh, that to start with, the two of you have been from Brooklyn and met in Midwood High School, which I went to school right near there at Brooklyn College. What do you remember of that first meeting and your impressions of each other? Well, you know, no one's ever asked us <laughs> that. That's really before. a very good question. You realize that was 1954. We were, we were 14. 14. So it may take a little time to get back there. Was, um, it was mixed course. But right? Yes. Midwood was huge. There were about 5,000 5, students, students right. in at Midwood High School in the years that we were there. And so we were on three different schedules. The classes started around seven in the morning right. and Went ended at six o'clock at night to get everybody in there. So to we were in the mixed chorus, which was an honor because there were only a hundred kids in the mixed chorus out of all of those people. So we we all got to know each other. Um, we worked with boss. Levine, as they called him, who was the most wonderful, wonderful man. These are the kinds of teachers that change your life. And it's, it, and we're lucky that we had him in ours. And Paula, you know, we were 14 years old. Paula won't tell you this, but I will. Paula looked <laughs> to me, to my amazed eyes, like Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> And yes, she did. <laughs> that's she news. Did. That's news to me. And you know, her skin was perfect. She had curves, which I didn't. Um, and I was rather in awe. And I don't remember exactly how we got to know each other a little bit, except that she lived and I lived with my three siblings and my aunt and my two parents in a semi-detached nice little house and I shared a bedroom with my three siblings and Paula invited me to her home and she had her own room and I thought I would just die mm. so <laughs> it was so great and her parents were wonderful and they invited my family to parties at their house so that's how that's what I remember well I really I remember all of that as well but I also remember Carol in mixed chorus was some 
sort of, you were the vice president of chorus or something like that. I was. Yes, you were, because you stood up on the side of the section. And so if you were an officer, you didn't sit with the throng. You stood <laughs> up on the side. And I always looked at her and I thought, wow. Yeah, but but she, she gorgeous. But she, she was gorgeous. dating the president of the That's course, true. And that was I much was. more. <laughs> so much. You were friends throughout high school, states friends all throughout high school? Yeah. Oh yes. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, we went to different colleges, but mm -hmm. we would still see each other right. at vacations yeah. and yeah. holidays and whatever, whatever. And then, surprise of all surprises. Yeah. We get to graduate school at NYU, and we're in this gigantic history of education class, you know, with like 300 students, because that's what happened at NYU. And the teacher is actually calling the role at the first uh, meeting of this class, the professor. Yeah. And he's calling Carol Demas. Ah! Carol Demas is in my class. <laughs> And then she hears Paula Rosen, because that was my name at the time, Jonathan Rosen. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> we, so yeah. we became hysterical. And we both li still lived at home at that right. time. I was engaged and I was married within the year, first, first time. And, <laughs> and we used to travel back and forth on pretty much the same subway. You know, she had to go a little further than I did. So that you know that was the beginning of being closer again and we were both headed for early childhood education i had taken a few courses in you know in under what as an undergraduate because i was engaged to a man named david hall who was going to college on the gi bill and he seemed like such a man you know the, that four years of difference in age is a, is at that time in your 20s makes a big difference. <laughs> and uh, I just, I was crazy for him. And so I was going to try and help him through law school by teaching school, even though I had discovered in a show at the University of Vermont playing Julie in Carousel, a moment happened where I suddenly thought, for all the other thoughts about what I might do with my life, I suddenly realized who I was. It just came over me all over. I just thought, oh my God, this, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. But meanwhile, she better get a job teaching. That's right. And if it hadn't been for Paula, I wouldn't. Although I did teach. I taught for one semester while I was still gathering a few more credits. I got a job. And um, the summer came and I didn't have a job for the fall and I was desperate. And my father, she somehow me. or other knew somebody who knew somebody. And I was given a job teaching kindergarten under the Brooklyn Bridge in Brooklyn, PS7, which was older than Brooklyn. I cannot even tell you how old the school was, but I get there and the principal who has three hairs widely spaced, <laughs> pulling out these three hairs because this is a double kindergarten. And the other teacher has now called in. She's not coming. She but was pregnant. She was pregnant and you weren't allowed to teach in those days if you can even wow. remember that. Right? You weren't allowed to teach if you were pregnant. Can you imagine? So of course wow. I get on the phone. I, I say to the principal, 
I call Carol, who I know is looking for a job. She comes steaming down to PS7. Of course, he takes one look. He says, you're hired. And there we were, the two of us, in a giant classroom with 50, count them, 5-0 children. And we didn't know one thing. We didn't know what to do. So we sang songs, we jumped up and down, and we told stories. <laughs> None of the things that we were prepared to do as teachers really were appropriate <clears throat> for these kids. Right. None of them, they were still gaping at the size of the room. <laughs> they had never been in an institution, <laughs> Which, you know, before, except maybe to go and get shots with their, you know, so they, so they were terrified already that that's why, that's where they were. A lot of them didn't really speak English. They had had no preschool, they had had no nursery school. And our job was to prepare them for first grade. Hmm. They weren't used to being read to, they didn't, have books they didn't handle books they didn't know how to put a pair of kitty scissors on their fingers um or and they never had a lot of crayons and then i mean they really really were kids who had very little and although some of them came in their best clothing at first mm -hmm. because their parents were so proud that they were going to school and they mm -hmm. felt that they should be all the little girls were, were in their if they owned a party dress, they were wearing it. Hmm. And we looked around at this room, which was not oh. very accommodating in the cleanest way. And we thought we have to reach their parents and tell them, send your little girls to school in something they can kneel on the floor and sit on the floor, right. you know, and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So that, you know, one step at a time, they made themselves at home with us. And there were 50 of them twice oh. a day yes we so had a hundred in the morning and 50 in the afternoon right so right mm. and then the winter we we, <laughs> we had a whole long ideas about what we were going to teach them in a day but of course they all came in with their boots and their coats with the zippers and and their mittens and all that stuff and by the time we got them we got the <laughs> boots off and the coats unzipped and the mittens off and then about half an hour before it was time, time to go, go back. We had to put them all back on again and make sure that everybody got the right jacket and the right boots and the right mittens. So um, I guess, I don't know how that compared with the average kindergarten teacher's experience. Although Paula went on to teach for many years and, and had the equivalent of a PhD in additional classes and stuff. And I got, you know, very lucky, very early in my career. And suddenly I was auditioning and getting things. And except for subbing in between, I didn't go back to teaching. To teaching. No, well, so, but still, you know, we saw each other all the time. So you, so Carol, you were the first one that was approached by WPIX about doing a show then? Right. Uh, well, that comes uh, down. Yeah, this is, you know, jump forward almost 10 right. years. And by that time, I had played Louisa at the Sullivan Street Playhouse for two years and gone back in now and then when they wanted me. I, I, you know, I'd, I'd worked with the Penn State rep. I had, I had been out to ACT in Seattle to do two shows. I'd, I'd done a lot of things. And I'd done an, an NYPD, which was a program at the time, and a Route 66 and a lot of commercials and stuff like that. 
So they're looking for somebody to do a show. And they call my agent and say, we're very interested in Carol. Will she come and talk to us? When I got there, they told me it was a cartoon show. <laughs> and they had a bunch of old cartoons. Some of them were fun and funny, but they were not what you would consider of educational value of any kind. And actually, do you remember the cartoons with all the little mice running all over the place? Did you ever see any of those? Or are you too young? They're too young. <laughs> well, I'm not not sure. <laughs> but, but anyway. There was always a mouse in a cartoon soon somewhere, you know, yeah. it, 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 in those days. So. <laughs> That's what I thought of. And I thought, they want me to host all these little mice running around. What am I supposed to say to them? I don't I thought, you know, all I could think of was Paula. I thought we could do something so much better than this. I mean, we could really make a contribution. We we had discovered uh, that singing together, our voices had a really wonderful blend. And we could tell stories up one side of the day and down the other, help these help children prepare to read by making them friendly with books. Um, there was, all of this had gone on for us. And I thought we could, we could do a show together that would be so much better than what they're talking about. And then there was a little voice, you know, inside that was saying, shut up, Carol, you're talking yourself out of the job. Yeah. <laughs> but, but fortunately she did not shut up. She calls me on the phone and she says, all right, we have to go in there and show them what we can do. Who? What are we showing them? Just put something together. And um, and she and, and she did, because she was actively <laughs> teaching at the time. And, you know, I made a few little contributions, <laughs> but basically the 15 minutes that we did on camera for them had was Paula's concept. And so- But we, didn't we also have a class in there at that audition? Or was that the next one? That audition? was the next one. Oh. But the thing is they liked the idea and they and they started looking at other people we kind of inspired them to think about something entirely different. So then they came back to my agent and said, nobody has their chemistry. We really, mm. we, we want them. I, they said, Paula has no TV experience. I said, give her, get, put her in front of the camera. She's a natural, you'll see. And, and <clears throat> she is, and well, they saw that, but I have done any number of videos for the Board of Education. I was the right. director of an early childhood program on the Lower East Side. I mean, and I was always right. doing that kind of stuff. So yes, I did have some experience and I was a drama major in college for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> so I could act, I'm pretty sure anyway. Yeah, you know, you, you never know when you're in school where you're going. I mean, I, I wanted to be a writer. I was an English major and I wanted to be a writer. I had no idea that I was really talented enough to make a life in the theater and, you know, and, and in television. So we, they came back to us and said, okay, when we're going to, we're going to do this. <laughs> and now what? They had writers, um, a couple of them that were <clears throat> staff writers. They hired an additional writer um, Alton Alexander, who had a lot of experience with children's television and just happened to also be with my agent. That was just an accident, but it was kind of funny. And we we started meeting with them and and 
laying out some ideas of things we could do. And in the meanwhile, this woman who could do everything at once has a child, a little baby. Um, so I got to more of the meetings alone than she did under the circumstances, but it, it didn't really matter. And finally, um, all, all of a sudden, I'm auditioning for Broadway things here and there while all of this is going on in the fall. And I get the role of this role that every woman who could possibly play it had auditioned for. And I was going to be Sandy in, on Broadway in the original Grease. Mm. And I thought, how, now what? <laughs> you know, it's, it's like that in the business. It's feast or famine thing. Right, right, right. So then I, we started rehearsals and finally we started and we started to do the preview section of all of this because this show didn't go out of town first. We just, you know, we had about a month to break it in with an audience and then the critics were there. And in the meanwhile, she was coming to the theater with a baby on her back and a sandwich for me. And we would go down into the basement of the theater and try to figure out these, these scripts, which were not scripts. We had given them giant lists yeah. of all the songs that we thought we could sing, all the stories that we could possibly tell, and any you know random ideas that we have. And they put things together with these lists. That's right. So at least we knew some of the stuff that was in that list. Yes, we did. And and so we would we would try to think of a story that we could bring to life with just the two of us. You know, we could play multiple characters and we would give them a list of these are the things that need to be in the story box but make them simple enough so that kids at home could actually feel that maybe they could do this too you know something from the kitchen whatever a, scarf, a hat a mop know. whatever um, and we would run through all of that in the basement of the theater right. and over the weekend I did five shows that was a very right. intense weekend and Monday was my day off and that was the day we shot it they took the news set down at WPIX and they put up the Magic Garden set. Right. And we got there at the crack of dawn, you know. For you didn't have your own thing? You had to share this, you had to share this uh, set with uh, the news? Well, the right. news was, was the moved. News was every day, oh. but we were only once a week. So right. we were not left standing the set, On which was a complicated set. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, ah. the, the shed, the story box, the, you know, everything. Right. It was a serious set. It was. <laughs> and and we know how heavy the magic tree was <laughs> because when they decided that they were giving up the storage and they wanted the storage space and they weren't going to use it anymore, they were ready to dump Some, all right. of that. <laughs> I called my brother with his truck. He had a pickup truck. And I said, JG, one of my two brothers, can, can you come? Can we? They're giving us this stuff. If you know, we don't know where we're going to put it. We don't, but it's going to go out, and we'll never see it again. The mushrooms, <laughs> magic tree, the story box, the shed, all that stuff. So we 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 were carrying, with a little help from some of the guys at Pix, carrying this tree out of there. And it was made of fiberglass and it weighed a, a lot. And this is on 42nd Street, okay, in the middle of Manhattan. <laughs> yes. This is this is this moving is, day. Right. This is, this is the side door of WP where WPIX is in the Daily News building. 
on 42nd Street. Right. So that's... Um, and we got all that stuff that out and then the magic tree ended up in my basement where it resided for a very long time. Well, we just, you know, we tried to keep everything going as much as we could. But in the meanwhile, back at the ranch, we were, you know, showing up on Mondays. The script was an outline. Right. First you do this and then you do that. And the story you're doing is this and the props are in the story nice. box and the songs you're singing are these and we want them to be in these pl places. And oh, by the way, there are, we've got some animals. Wow. <laughs> so, that's one of the things that we wanted to ask you. So there, there is no script. It was just like a, a general guideline. Can you go well, ahead? There was, a, there was, a, there was an a through line for Sherlock because there was usually something that he was up to that would be resolved or a, a worse mess than it started out to be you know, between the beginning and the end of the <laughs> and And we... But he could read the script because he could have it pasted up on the inside of the magic tree, which was where Sherlock, the puppet, yeah. made his home. And so he could read the script and, you know, give us instructions or whatever nonsense it was supposed to be the theme of that particular... Right. We event. didn't have anything running that we could read, but there were some big cards, you know, the guys would be on their knees, you know, holding them up going like this. Or like this. Or saying, yeah, this is going too long, you know, that we would figure it out. But if we hadn't known each other for so long, and if we didn't have you know, if we couldn't feel each other's beating hearts practically, I don't know how we would ever have done it. But we, you know, we began to get a rhythm. As we went along, and but you know, we had also sung together at the New York Shakespeare Festival. That's right. We left oh, out with our two brothers when we were when we were teaching together. Right. Um, we went to you, see. You remembered that you had been a minstrel at Vermont. Yeah, I had. <laughs> I was playing small roles at the at the Champlain Shakespeare Festival and singing with a with a tenor and a guitarist for a half an hour before every show. And a lot of the Shakespeare festivals did that at right, that time. Right. There'd be mm -hmm. somebody strolling and singing or whatever. And we went to see something at the Delacorte right. and the people are lined up forever outside to get in right. and they're so all, and there's nothing for them to do. And so, you know, I said, why don't, why we could do this. We could, we could sing to them while they're standing on the line waiting right. to get into the theater. This is what happens right. when you're so green that you actually think <laughs> something might happen. I And we hadn't even told our brothers yet. Well, her, they're always the last to Right. Mine was a tenor and just out of high school. And hers was a, bar, a baritone and both of them younger than we. And so we we decided to give it a shot. So we wrote a letter, a letter to to to, to Joseph Pack, right, dear Mister Pack, dear Mister Pack, <laughs> right. And we you know we had some jumbled up credits between us. Most of them, her brother Alex, who was the youngest one, <laughs> right. I mean, he was he was a fantastic voice soprano, one of the greatest this this country has ever had, actually. <laughs> And so he had sung yeah, all sorts of credits with the Washington Opera, you know, and here, there, and whatever. So we, our combined credits include, you know, and they called us at what, you know, that we didn't have cell phones then. Mm -hmm. They called PS7. PS7. 
they called the office. We're in the kindergarten, right? right. Jumping. <laughs> and somebody comes running up breathlessly saying, the New York Shakespeare Festival's on the phone in the office and they want to talk to you. <laughs> well, we couldn't just both run out. We had 50 kids sitting in there in the room. So I, I, I and I went. And yes, and yes, and yes. And well, when can we'd like you to audition? Can you come? I think it was something like 10 days later. I said, Oh, sure, we'll be ready. One little hitch. We hadn't told our brothers. And, and we it, certainly didn't have any music that the four of us could um, take. <laughs> I, I, I called the University of Vermont, the head of the music department there, who had supplied the music that I sang for the Champlain Festival. And we and I asked him, I said, here are our ranges, and here are the songs that I think we could do. And um, could you, could, do you have time to send you know, some arrangements for us? Well, he cranked it out he by did. hand he in did. pencil, you know, on on music paper, all of the parts for four songs. And we went to Paula's house because she had a piano. And I actually, call, you know, I called my brother. She called hers. Are you doing anything this summer? <laughs> my and they, brother was trying to graduate from college, I believe. And mine was moment. trying to graduate from high, high school. school. And they came. So you accepted without checking with them first. Right. Yes. Well, we could have done it without them if we had to, right. but we just thought they're never going to call us anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and then they did. So we, we got together in Paula's house and we took out the music and we opened okay. our mouths yeah. together and we nearly fell over. It was, it was amazing. so amazing. The blend was just I mean, we had soprano, alto, tenor, and bass. Yeah, and the, and, and the music arrangements were wonderful, absolutely so legitimate. Yeah, and the sound of the four of us together, we all looked at each other and like, went, "Holy cow! Who are the who So we we learned stuff, and then mm -hmm. we thought, "Uh oh, we you know this is in a little room in a house. What does it sound like outside somewhere?" <laughs> So we went to Riverside Park. Wasn't it Riverside yeah. Park? And we corralled nice, sweet old people who were sitting on benches and asked them if they'd mind they if we sang them. <laughs> and they didn't mind at all. So the day came when we had to go audition. And the only fight we had in that stretch of time was what to wear, what we should look like. The important things. Right. So we got we get to the Delacorte and Colleen Dewhurst is on the stage and she is rehearsing Cleopatra. And yeah. I just thought, I think I'm gonna faint <laughs> right here. It's it it suddenly was was too real, you know. What are we doing here? This is crazy. But they called us and and they were sitting on in the front row of the theater. And the four of us come marching out. There's a picture actually behind me of what we looked like at the, the Delacorte Theater yeah. singing. Theoni Aldrich, who was one of the great costume designers on Broadway forever and ever, made our dresses and the, and the shirts for the, for the boys. But when we did our audition, we, we knew four songs, okay? 
And we thought if they want any more than that, we're not going to be able to get anywhere. But we, we sang three and they said, you're hired. When can you start tomorrow? You know, here's, here's a, a, a date. Be here Friday. But singing outside on the line, which was our original plan, was absurd because <laughs> nobody would let you walk. They made big circles around us and the whole line became jammed up. So they sent a mounted policeman to escort us along the line. Wow. It didn't work any better. So that ended up putting us inside in front of the stage right. and ultimately on the stage. The parks commissioner was not happy about our being out there because a lot of people who weren't planning to go to the festival were hanging around to listen. And he kept say, saying, like, who are these people and what are they doing on my on lawn? lawn. Right. Right. So they put us inside with lights <laughs> and sound. And people really made an effort to get seated, you know, and, and so we did a half hour right. before every performance. And I think we did it with our brothers for two summers. And then we did, we alone, did it ourselves for at least two. And I did it once by myself alone. Yeah. She had to because <laughs> it was at that point it was just the two of us. And I was covering the fantastics just because somebody, you know, they they I had my dress and my shoes and everything in a dressing room backstage at the Delacorte. And if they called me to come down, I mean I I had played it for two years and I knew the people I played it with. But sometimes I would get down there and I wouldn't know anybody on that stage. It was a, it was a very strange experience, but at least I'd done it often enough. So it wasn't impossible. And and Paula got stuck going on by herself that one time. But the, the shows weren't the same. They didn't open at the same time. So if I was lucky and I was able to get a cab, I could get there dressed and ready to go on stage almost the minute the show started. It, you know, these are things, what, what was I like at that time? I was in my late twenties, but when we, when we started doing this, we were, we were 22, 23 years old. We were, we were really, we could, you know, you just feel fearless and like you can do anything. I just, I had that moment of sheer terror when I saw Colleen Dewhurst, but I got over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did want to ask about some of the concepts for for Magic Garden, like some of the things, like how they develop, like the Magic Tree, Story Box, Chuckle Patch, because to me, like things like the Story Box are like you know improv stuff. It showed your background in performing, so th is that where you started generating ideas from that? Well, I can't say that we take credit for you know developing the first idea of the Story Box, but we had given them lists of stories that we could tell, and we thought what props would be available. So they just had this big chest. And that was how it became the story box because they would put the props in there and we would sing the little story box song right. and go over there and open it up. And then most of the time we had no idea. We didn't know what was, was gonna be in there because- <laughs> Sometimes well, the list that we sent them didn't have anything to do with what was in there. Right. <laughs> but, but we, you know, that was part of the improvisation. So you didn't know each episode what story it was going to be? We knew what story we were going oh, okay. to, but we just didn't know what the trimmings were going yeah. to be. Well, they're going to be ears and beards because I wore this red beard most of the time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> 
and it never tasted good to begin with. So I can't even tell then you. It was, it was kind of awful. But, and, you know, the songs were our, were our idea. Every once in a while, Alton would come up with a song for, for Sherlock. Um, but most of the songs were songs that we knew we could, we could do. And the whole point was that we did them live and we did them in real time. And we did everything live and in real time. Mm -hmm. There were no fast cuts. And there was, you know, teachers were complaining up, down and sideways that kids had no ability to focus, you know, that they had to be doing a different song and dance every two minutes. And we were trying to extend their attention span. So we would have five minutes to do this and three minutes to do that. And, and, and teachers really felt that we made a contribution just in terms of that format. And then of course there was Sherlock. Would you like to see him? He's here. Oh, absolutely. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he is now, I'm no puppeteer. <laughs> and um and don't just don't look at his flopping head he looks like something <laughs> terrible just happened but you know carrie and tv you should really tell you about him paula will tell you about carrie well i uh, she struggled won't you won't you paula who also uh was on another television show um with a puppet called rags and he was so talented and he was so clever and he just fell right into our midst. And we knew instantly that this was certainly somebody that we could work with very well. Right. And he, he, when he auditioned, he didn't have a puppet to audition with. Right. So over the weekend, <laughs> he made the first Sherlock, right. which is, this one is the one we used on stage. You know, took quite a beating with all the traveling and everything. But he made the first Sherlock, and Paula actually was able to duplicate it for some shows that she did while I was working in California, and she was doing birthday parties and all kinds of things. And she made a Sherlock, but she know, she'll tell you what it was made of. Because the original Sherlock was made of a pink bath mat, <laughs> half of a black rubber ball, you know, the kind that you would balding ball, balding, yeah. cutting it in half so his nose was this black rubber ball and his body was made of a pink bath mat. So I trotted myself out to, you know, the bed and bath store and I got a big giant pink bath mat and I came home and I cut it up and I made a Sherlock and it wasn't bad. It was, it was pretty <laughs> damn good. It was not easy. It's, it's more tricky than you think to be able to get your hand in there and yeah. you know, operate it. It's not a sock puppet. It's a real right. giant animal. But you know, Carrie <laughs> managed to give Sherlock oh, expression absolutely. and life. <clears throat> when it the eyelids didn't work, there was nothing about this puppet that did anything but, you know. <laughs> and yet, he he had in Carrie's hands. He right. was right. he was real. And he could sing too. So yes, that was also we act, we used to go and see Carrie singing in nightclubs, right. wearing oh, bell bottoms and the whole nine yards. And now he's a very religious man and living totally differently. And yet, when we do live performances, there he is, knocking everybody out just the way just he, the way he, he can. So the Sherlock that I have here was yes. made 
to be on stage. And so his whiskers are quite showy, whereas the one that we had on camera was pipe cleaners. And they were always falling off. And people <laughs> thought that I was very affectionate and sweet with Sherlock because I'd be patting him on the cheek, but actually I was sticking them back on. Because... But that never happened with this guy. So no. here, here he is. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I can't even, I mean, I I, I really hate speaking for him it's because I don't, I don't have Carrie's voice, but I'm Sherlock, hi, hi. Carrie, <laughs> um, and Carrie also operated the puppet that we added after a while, whose name was Flapper, and he was a bird, a very colorful bird, and he had one on each hand. And the and only, only one time did he ever mix up the two of them, and I don't think anybody. <laughs> no, right. And the voices were totally different. Of course, he couldn't. They couldn't sing together. <laughs> but he's he's absolutely the kindest, That's most fantastic. loving, great man, and is so he is so talented. And he just did things with Sherlock that, when you saw Sherlock lying in a box, you you felt. Somebody do something. He's gonna die in there. <laughs> he just seemed so real. We he was really, he was really a friend. He was our mm -hmm. friend. And during the show, when Sherlock would put his head out of the tree and talk to us, we would talk to him as if he was really a person <laughs> and we were really paying attention to his every word and his every look because he was really a person. And so that so happens when you have an effective uh, uh, character like that. And uh, yeah. I mean, what a, what an adorable, adorable, adorable uh, puppet. But <laughs> listen, did you guys, guys have autonomy to create, create the show you wanted, or did you have to run everything past um, WPIX first? They what? were just, wow. <laughs> no. We just, they, they had great trust in us. I never thought of it that way. No. But we, I guess we were, you know, wise enough and experienced enough to know what not to say and um we we just we just got on there and and we put we put our love for each other mm -hmm. and our love for the job and our caring about the kids out there together and we just did it and there was an educational consultant yes. to the program a doctor mm. Kurgy. yes rose McCurdy. rose McCurdy, right lovely woman from lovely. brooklyn college she, uh, and she would, you know, uh, say for... something or other sometimes uh, that, you know, this might, you should lean this way a little bit to, you know, promote that idea, or you should talk about something or other that a little differently. So mm -hmm. once in a while, there would be that's right some sort of a, of a suggestion. I right. think it was a, never a comment order. would come through to us and we yeah. would. And we would take, to make take it, it to heart right. and we would do whatever she asked. Right. But so we when, really, what, go ahead, Jeff. No, no, when, when did you first start realizing that this show is a success? Because it's still, you, you're the most successful regional show ever. Like, is that, so when did you first start realizing that this was a success? Because you, at some point you were outperforming like Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers. So when did that start? I never realized. realized. Really? We, we, <laughs> well, first of all, we weren't, we were only making them, we could not make a whole one in a day at, at first. Right. So yes. it took a little while to pile up 
a few enough of them so that they could run it once a week and then they ran it four times a week um and because there was joyous fun school on fridays and then ultimately they ran it five times a week and you know television ran in 13 week cycles in those mm -hmm. days so we we had 52 shows and each one ran four times a year and the, and kids loved oh here comes you know a favorite one after they and you know the great thing is that little kids grow up and they move on to superheroes and girl stuff and whatever else and and others are still coming along so the show had an audience that was that actually grew over 12 and a half years of time and the thing that's so nice is that parents first of all they blessed us for the half hour a piece that it gave them, but they also enjoyed it. And they told us so. They said, I can't watch that so as long as I know that it's safe for my kid to be watching it, that's good enough for me. But our show, they actually watched and they commented on. And somehow they always knew that we were really friends, that that wasn't just a made up television, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. idea because I think we were so casual <laughs> and the script was so loose that only a friend could really get through it, you know? So- I, Yeah, I mean, I, Paula was raising this, was raising Victoria, the first of her three children. And I was doing eight shows a week on Broadway and I would stagger, we both stagger into, into, on Monday into PIX. And uh, we would discuss some stuff that we hadn't talked about during the week while makeup and hair was going on. We did, we wore our own clothes. Oh, um, yes, yeah. That's why, I mean, <laughs> I look at them now and I think about how hideous they are. And yet I, <laughs> they, gave <laughs> us, they gave us $100 for wardrobe. To buy some clothes. <laughs> wow. For, for 52 episodes. <laughs> Yeah, go you know, crazy. Just, just and yet, go crazy. You know, we see, we see uh, people now who say, "Oh, those clothes were so cool." <laughs> well, you know, for the time, I oh, guess, I, for the time, I, I guess they were. Well, we wore exactly the same outfit for the first dozen episodes. <laughs> and I guess they got sick of it and said, "Here's a hundred bucks." Don't oh, get something else, for goodness sake. So, so they never wanted to, because it got so successful, because I, 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 I'm amazed now looking at it that there were only 52 episodes, because I, you know, I just watched it all the time, and mm -hmm. never occurred to me. So they, they never wanted to, like, say, come back and do more? Well, we did do a Christmas. Right. But that was years special. later. It was just on yesterday. Right. And then we did something called The Magic Garden Still Growing, <clears throat> which was... In a lot a whole lot later right. with look look backs at things and i i guess it worked yeah, the way it, it was it why should they spend money to make more if they can keep running the same <laughs> show every day yeah, because kids outgrew it and new kids came along and it was new to them right. the mm. only reason that it stopped was because wpix had a new program director mm. who decided that they should be running things that made more money because you know, in order to satisfy some of the of the regulations that were in place, or at least some of the 
the beliefs about how children's television should be done, we didn't have commercial breaks. We had a break near the top and one right before the end, and that was it. <clears throat> public service announcements right. and, and, and we and so we when we f made our first record and we were selling it by mail we actually paid back to them we what bought. little money they paid us for doing it we bought the time in those little spaces so we could run a spot for for our record Magic garden for, record right. oh and gosh can you imagine it's really yeah God bless the seven up on the wall behind us. Yeah, <laughs> that's showbiz for you. That's right. That's right. We we really it, it started after a while. I was in L.A. a lot after we had made all of those, and you know, working in television. That's when I worked with you. Hmm? And and I would come home and realize that people were giving me a a double take on the street. I still had the hair, which we eventually gave up, but we did all the shows in that long hair. And and I realized, my God, people must be seeing it. You must be watching it. That was the first time I really realized that it had be, it was beginning to become very popular. Mm -hmm. That's around the time that we started doing live performances yes. mm -hmm. and people would bring their kids and we would do two and three shows a day in big houses. 1500 seats maybe um we, we and after every show we would stay and sign autographs mm -hmm. every one of those 2000 people that was in the audience or oh sign my, my goodness they were buying wow. they were buying the albums we had an hour between we had barely enough time to get a drink of water run to the bathroom get back get on, back on. <laughs> but we were younger then <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the Christmas episode. This is the 50th anniversary. Right, that's what we mentioned. The 50th anniversary, amazing. Right. Now, and now, I mean, we just did we just did two shows, October 23rd, at a theater in Mamaronek called the Emelin Theater. It has 500 people came to see us. Two shows, 250 each. They were sold out. And who's sitting in the audience, you ask foolishly? It is the grandmother who was the original mother, the mother who was the original child, and the new child who's going, why does my mother know the words to these songs? Why does my, oh my grandmother gosh. know the words to these songs? It was astonishing, but it yeah. was three generations. Amazing. And most of the audience were grown-ups. Like, this time, yes. Sure. Fewer children and more grown-ups who were all absolutely old five years old. Right. And they were so cute. Yes. You know, we hadn't we had done two shows in Woodstock and two out at Bolton Center on Long Island in, toward the end of 2019. And, and then, then everything, everything closed down. down. Um, we also did Chiller Theater, which is an autograph show um, at that last spurt of energy. And that was the first time we'd ever done one. It was three days and the line never stopped. It was, it was really incredible. All of these people and some of them. I wish you could have seen them. They were the punks, these guys. <laughs> and they, you know, and they were with the earrings and the tattoos and the hair and the whole or none. Uh, and and they were they would come up to the table and they were they could hardly speak. And they were in Five years old again. Some of them. 
I mean, it was, we were just looking at each other and think, is this, is know, this, is this really, really happening? happening? <laughs> this is the really? sweetest damn thing you'll ever see. So, okay. And then came COVID and that was done. And so we hadn't <laughs> been on out there, you know, to be seen live for all this time until October that just went by. And we walked out on stage for the first time after all of that shut down. And we didn't know what to expect. And they stood up and they started screaming. They screamed. They screamed. We thought, the set fall down? What What happened? What's going on? Did we leave our pants in the dressing room? They just, they were just so happy they didn't know what to do with themselves. And, you know, in our live performances, we always have little breaks for the kids. So if they're getting restless, we, we put up the seat of the, tell them, put up your seat and we're going to do an action song. You know, we, we jump and we hop and we sing and we laugh and we cry and we sneeze and we do all these different things. And there they are these, did it. every single every adult in the entire place was doing it all with us. It was it was course, really nice. When we so started nice. to start the show with the Magic Garden song, and then we sing the Hello song. And they sang, I mean, you know, people have told us all these many 50 years, and we call it, you never said my name, Itis. <laughs> because we would sing a hello song on the show. And then we would say hello to, you know, this one, that one, and the other one. And apparently kids were sitting at home all those years waiting for us to say hello to them. <laughs> and they didn't hear their name. Or they did. I mean, a lot of them did hear it because we said, you know, Bobby and Phil, Freddie and Patty and Janie and all of the rest of them. Right. But <laughs> they are still waiting. Yes. They'll stop <laughs> us in a That's supermarket right, right. when we look like absolute dreck. You know, and they want they want to turn on their phones and will we sing them the whole will we sing them the whole song? Oh and speaking of that, we have one what, what, we need we need to do we need to do Jonathan and I. Yes, we do. Are, are you guys ready? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a nice to say hello. Oh, it's nice to say hello, hello, and how are you? It's nice to shake your hand, shake hands, shake hands. It's nice to shake your hand, shake hands. How do you do? I'm fine, me too. We're fine, and how are you? I'm fine, me too. We're fine, and how are you? Hello, hello Jonathan. Jonathan. Hello, hello, Ike. Ike. <laughs> hello. <laughs> oh, that's that's fantastic. Oh, that, oh my gosh. That that's my Hanukkah gift. Thank you. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, you have made John Jonathan's decade. <laughs> you know, we we learned gradually how important it was to people because of encounters that we had. And should I tell them about the, the lawyer? Of course, that's a of great course. <laughs> okay. Um I was I was in a one of the giant courthouses, you know, down downtown Manhattan. There were steps go they're just very overpowering places. And I had to do a deposition 
Now I'm an actor. I, you know, I, I shouldn't have been worried at all, but I was very nervous because this wasn't, this was for real. And I, and I really, I didn't want to screw it up. So I worked with my lawyer, what to say, you know, and, and how to answer their questions. And, and I thought when I left that it was under control and I, and I'm running for my car because the parking lot is a fortune. And I'm, I see a person sort of coming up toward me as I'm coming down uh, and he's carrying a briefcase and each hand he's got wearing a three-piece suit. He has a very um, lawyerly looking woman on each arm and they're wearing their suits and he passes me and then, and then I hear this voice and he looks at me like he, uh, like he recognizes me. I, didn't, I, I really didn't understand what was going on. And he get past me and I hear this voice say, you never said my name. <laughs> and I think, oh my god, oh my god, I what did I leave out? I thought I I thought I I thought I did a good job. I I was nervous actually. And I turned around and he said, I watched every day and you never said my name. <laughs> uh, well, it was sort of a real yes. And then I asked him, Well, what, what's your name? And he said his name was Bertram Alphonse. 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 And I knew I can't I can't fake this. I know we never said hello to Alphonse. So I I said, well, maybe we can take care of this right now. So I I, I sang him the hello song. One of the two women thought he'd lost his mind. The other knew what was going on and she just couldn't stop laughing. And I, so I sang him the, the song and I said, hello, Alphonse. He was just like grinning from ear to ear. He picked up his briefcases. He looked at me, he smiled and he said, oh, thank you. Now I can get on with my life. <laughs> and off he went. So that's become a favorite story to tell because it kind of sums it all up. That, yes, that people remember mm -hmm. our show in this dear way and and it's still meaningful to them absolutely well you 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 there's talk now about that i read about that there's going to be a new animated version which i saw you know mariah carey famously tweeted about so what can you tell us the status of that the med the new magic garden well it is definitely still in the works um you know making a cartoon is not an easy task, right? <laughs> and they are—they decided that we would be little Carol and Paula, mm -hmm. not grown up, about so seven, seven years old, mm. and you know, live next door to each other and have the garden to play in. Anyway, they have created um, a, a little short version of what they hope. So that is constantly being marketed now to these people who are the cartooners, as we call them, have 35 Emmys between them all. So they definitely know something about television programming. And we were very much um, amazed and thrilled when they approached us and asked if they could get this organized. So we're all waiting breathlessly, but we'll see what happens. You know, they were fans, right? And now you know they've worked for decades in children's television and won all of these awards. 
They have a show running on PBS right now that's going very well. They recently got a grant to do something else, but they're not wanting to give up this dream of theirs mm. to bring a new magic garden to a new generation of children. And they have a lot of faith in animation and they feel that kids, especially young kids today, really love it. So, you know, we we would like for it to be pretty good, <laughs> bad, you know, animation. And so would they. The good news is that because they're so experienced and so respected, they can they can knock on any door and it will open for them. It's a matter of what what is wanted out there you know what's what's the thing that that the stations are looking for uh, but they have great faith in this plan and at first we 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 were a little stunned to think <laughs> of ourselves as little animated seven-year-old girls <laughs> but then you know and if it goes the way we think it's going to go now we will actually voice two sunflowers who are a feature in the garden and we will be like these grandmothers but we're sunflowers and we're we will you know we'll we'll be able to sing and we'll tell jokes and we'll speak to the kids maybe even from an adult perspective now and then but mostly we have our job is to be a lot of fun oh, which always a good job that's that's wonderful. Well, speaking of fans, and Mariah, care reading about you guys. Guys, been any, any other famous fans fans that you've heard? I there are some famous fans. I'm sure we can't remember. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, you know, there was a what's the name of the book about children's television? Don't oh, oh, um, this is this is embarrassing. I should have had it in front of me, <laughs> but. What is the opening line of the Sesame Street song? Oh, yes. Um, oh, dead air. <laughs> Never mind. That's okay. I'll take care of it. A really <laughs> wonderful book about the history of children's, children's television. television. Mm -hmm. And, and, and we are featured in this Yes, book, and so. saw fit mm -hmm. to include the Magic Garden, even though it was not national. Because it um, did actually creep its way into all sorts of pockets across this country on satellite TV when that was how WPIX was able to broadcast its signal, you know, right. God knows where. And how did we know that people were seeing it? Because they would send an order in for the Magic Garden record and it would come from Fairfield, Iowa, or, you know, right. we, and somewhere we, in Kentucky. Right. And, we knew that they weren't getting it on their little TV turning on Channel 11, but they were getting it on the satellite. Well, a lot of um, a, a lot of the shows that WPIX showed in those days came off the satellite out of Chicago. It was a Tribune station then. So mm -hmm. it had a reach. Um, and a lot of smaller towns and cities wanted better quality programming for kids and they weren't making their own the way they were let's let's say the magic garden was seen in that part of pennsylvania where the scranton and wilkes-barre and and those towns are but not in philadelphia right. it it reached burlington vermont it reached a lot of places in massachusetts but not boston mm -hmm. because 
Boston ran its own programming, but it it was picked up and apparently you could grab it off the satellite <clears throat> if you <laughs> if you knew how. So I guess <clears throat> we really do discover now that we we talk to people who say they watched it as a kid and when we ask them where they lived, we're very surprised because right. it doesn't seem local at all. Right. Well, we. It, you have a Facebook page, Twitter, website, and we're going to include all the links, but we're releasing this in the holiday time. And the holiday time is a perfect thing, thing for shopping, and you can shop at shopmagicgarden.com. Can you Thank tell you. us a little bit? <laughs> can you tell us a little bit what you can find there? We do have some signed, you know, photos, a picture of the garden that's kind of like a misty shot of it's just like in just how your imagination remembers it. And there's another one that's really fun because it was shot at WPIX from behind the cameras and the, and the cameramen are all lined up there. And, and then you see us in color, you know, through, there we are little, little on our swings. The cameramen were, they were so much fun. They were such great guys and the directors too. And the cameraman who shot the Magic Garden also used to shoot the Yankee games. Right. <laughs> and so, they, so they would come from shooting the Yankee games and they'd be down on their knees pulling, you know, a, a nylon cord to make the, the magic tree arm go up and down and stuff like that. And they would try to mess with us. And they had such a good time doing it. And when they weren't doing it, the animals who were brought to be a part of the day we had no opportunity to meet ahead of time and we still never found out who supplied them or where did they where, come where they came from and some of them were real sweet there was a kinkajou and i'd never even seen one before which is a, a kind of a, of a monkey and, and adorable and it would it would wrap its tail around your arm and just sort of hang on your arm we loved him and so did our audience but then there was another monkey who was very fearful and he, he bit us and we <laughs> and we we had to try not to let the children know that this <laughs> there were very strange and awful things that happened with animals on the show, which yes. you know, like the one time with the dog and the chicks. Oh, yes. There was a puppy and we had one of those blow-up little pools with ducklings in it, little fluffy yellow, you know, this innocent little baby ducklings. And this puppy apparently had his eye on them. Uh oh. And so Paula <laughs> and I are standing facing each other and I can see past her to the pool where the ducklings are. And here comes the puppy oh. on a hunting expedition. Oh. You could just tell. <laughs> and, I, and I was thinking, Okay, okay, we have to get through this. We we almost never oh, stopped. You couldn't dare stop. We, you know, we just kept on going. And and as he got closer, I just I thought, okay, that's it. I, I said, we have to stop. We're gonna have a murder on the magic garden any minute. And so they stopped and you know, we we rescued the we, ducklings. We straightened oh. out and then you know we we went back to where we'd been, but we we don't, people say, oh, the outtakes must have been great. But no, the truth is, there are hardly any <laughs> because wow. we never stopped. You just keep going no matter what. <laughs> if your beard is falling off or your mask is going this way, 
just keep going. Don't even. When we do our it. live performances, we use a clip. One of the clips yeah. we use Paula as a wolf, and something happened with her mask, which is like like this, except it started going this way, you know. So that it looked so ridiculous, and I'm trying to talk to her as a character who's quite terrified of this wolf and and try to keep a straight face while I'm doing it. And meanwhile, you know, the orthodontia problem is getting really awful. <laughs> and so when the audience sees this in our live performances, you know, they some of them remember it and they just, just start to hysterical. giggle. It's they fun. Hysterical. I wish yeah. we had more stuff like that. But well, it's right before the holidays. And you just you mentioned the, the Christmas episode a little bit. Carol was telling me that there was like basically a Christmas miracle that that it was found. Even. Can, you just tell, can you tell that story? It, it was lost for right. a very No, it was lost. They just weren't running it. And they ran it a couple times and they loved it. And it was made almost 10 years after the first ones. And it was an hour long. And we had an outdoor scene in it. And and it, and everyone thought it was great. We even got a nice little review in the in the in the papers and the newspapers for it. And I think I'm not sure. But I have a feeling we were actually nominated for a local Emmy for that show. And I really wish I could find out because I can't, we can't brag about it if it isn't true. But we just don't remember. But anyway, they lost it. They just they lost it. And and they, and decades, a couple of decades went by and they didn't run it, and they didn't run it. So then one day we get this call from Rolando Pujol who was a fan of ours as a child and was now working at PIX. And he's a brilliant man and kind and funny and dear. And we just love him. And he and he has moved on from WPIX now, but he but he checks in with us to see how we're doing. And he was he was in his office and in comes a janitor, uh, someone you know who's responsible for the building and says, you have um, the building is flooded. The building is flooding on the on the, on the lower, lowest level, yeah, and, and you have a sub basement storage vault down there, and water is getting in. And he looks at everybody else around him at WPI. They have no idea. Nobody knows what this man is talking about. What vault? We don't have even have a key. Where is it? <laughs> so he goes down there with these people, thinking this is ridiculous. And they, they have can't to get break the, the door. door down yeah. of this little, what looks like a sort of a closet affair. And they break the door down and the floor has got this much water on it. But <gasps> on the top shelf is the Magic Garden Christmas special that had been lost all these years. Wow. <laughs> Waiting up there to be found in a flood. The stuff at the bottom was wrecked. We were fortunate that it was up high. He couldn't believe his eyes because he watched the show as a child and he had never seen the Magic Garden Christmas. And he was so excited and he, he, he the way he described it to us, he, he sort of, it was like five or six boxes of tape this thick, you know, the older, older tape. And he just stuffed it kind of in his coat jacket <laughs> to try to make sure that he didn't drop it and get it out of there. And then they had to, they transferred everything onto a more recent format, but of a recent kind of technology, but it wasn't put together right. And they didn't know how it went. 
you know, so we, we helped them. And my, and my husband, Stuart Ellen, did the sound for that, for that show. And um, we had worked with him before, but we didn't really take much notice of each other. And he apparently <laughs> decided that he liked me in my grasshopper, silly grasshopper running suit and green tights and construction boots and fell in love with me and sent me barrels of flowers and a Christmas tree and, and stuff. Two years later, we were married and we've been, we'll be married next year, 40 years. But he remembered, he knew how it went together. I mean, from a technical point of view. So he helped Rolando and the team of that picks put it all back the way it was supposed to be. And now it has run Pretty much the last five, six, ten every years, however year. long, right before Christmas every year. Mm -hmm. But great. the New Daily News was their building. You know, <laughs> when this happened, they were fascinated by this story. We got a lot of press from them about it. It was a big article about finding the lost magic garden. It was oh, really nice. It was a great story. And there it is. And of course, the color has been, you know, beefed up a little bit because it's <laughs> fading after 40 years or however many years. That's ago. something that happens, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we want to thank you so much for coming on today. It really, it's been an absolute pleasure. A huge fan all my life. And this was really like the, the best gift for us <laughs> anyway, to be able to speak with you. We loved being here with you. You're so much you're so much fun to talk to. And Ike, I'm glad you were all grown up and you still remember <laughs> working together on Man from Atlantis. <laughs> fantastic <laughs> journey, fantastic journey. Yeah, fantastic. An journey. absolute pleasure. Really Paulus <laughs> getting her guitar. Get him back into this. Yeah, I'll get him back into this. Let's, 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 let's do this. Okay. See ya, see ya. Hope you had a good, good time. Bottom, hope you have a real nice day now. Bottom, hope you get to see you again. See ya, see ya. Glad that we could spend our Culture Retro. I'm Jonathan Rosen with Ike Eisenman. And again, a very, very special thanks to Carol and Paula. And please subscribe and happy holidays. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Retro, where no one was hurt during the making of this podcast. <laughs>